Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the greatest podcast you just turned on. This is Comics Paradox, where we talk about alternate reality comic book tales uh, from such publishers as DC and Marvel Comics, as well as others as time goes on. We'll uh, be discussing things like what-ifs and elseworlds and just other general alternate takes on uh, well-established characters and storylines. Uh, joining me uh, this week, we had a couple of guys. Uh, first up, we have Leo Pond. Oh, you switched it up on me. That's right. <laughs> I know. Yeah. How's, how's it going, Leo? Uh, going great. Going great. Excited to talk about this book. It's, uh, yeah, this is going to be fun. Oh, that's good. You're in the right place to do that then. Oh, yeah. And uh, next up, we have Justin Cooper. Hello. How's it going, Justin? Oh, it's going great. Looking forward to uh, talking some more alternate reality. So uh, yes. some Elseworlds from D.C. It's always fun getting into these. Yes, this is where we, we go past the, the normal realm of geekiness. Escapism isn't enough. We now need escapism <laughs> from our escapism, gang. Uh, this week we are talking about uh, a book that you, you've heard these guys express uh, some excitement over. Uh, it's called Superman Cow. Uh, it was written by Dave Gibbons. Uh, you may know him from uh, such things as Oh, geez. Um, Rogue Trooper. Martha Washington Goes to War, as well as being Martha. the... Why did you say that name? <laughs> Why did you, <laughs> you say that name? Everyone thinks because you're a zombie, you don't know good coffee. Well, they're wrong. We have very active lifestyles. It's not all wandering the countryside aimlessly or scaring passing motorists. We all love a good cup of joe. And there's only one brew that gets my seal of approval. Deadly Grounds Coffee is my guilty pleasure. Bold, robust, delicious. It's coffee that can wake the dead. <laughs> With over a dozen different roasts and flavors, Deadly Grounds can satisfy the most finicky of coffee addicts. The aroma is so intoxicating. It brings all of my neighbors out of the woodwork. Deadly Grounds coffee. Coffee to die for and zombie approved. It's good to get a little deadly. Use the front door! Oh, they're so disgusting. The Dorkening and all affiliated shows are not intended for anyone under the age of 18. The following may contain discussions or scenes that have adult situations, graphic violence, nudity, strong sexual content, and graphic language. This show is intended for mature audiences only. Viewer discretion is advised. I'm sorry, I meant Mothra. Um, he's behind, she's behind you. Whip. Um. <laughs> and now that movie got an Oscar. <laughs> Right. Um, but uh, he is also very well known as the illustrator and co-creator of Watchmen mm -hmm. with uh, Alan Moore, who is uh, now usually credited as the original writer uh, as he is uh, he, he has distanced himself from popular comics for the most part. 
I bet he um, still gets that check. I don't know that he does actually, <laughs> but, but that's neither here nor there. I don't want to talk about Alan Moore. Um, Dave Gibbons, however, very very talented uh, artist and, and and certainly writer. Uh, this this story I think will hopefully uh, prove that statement to be true. Um, and this was illustrated by uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, which um, I'm not too familiar with a lot of stuff that he's done. Uh, right off the bat, I, I don't know if you guys had gone out of your way to check out anything that he had, oh, he had I've, done previously. Absolutely, he's a legend in the business. Uh, a lot of um, the early Vampirilla work, right? Oh. From like uh, like the the old uh, comics that you see that like he was doing that. He um, th- there's so much stuff. I I've seen like a lot of of uh, good comic art, and he was kind of a staple of the '70s. Okay. Yeah, it looks like uh, looks like he's done a lot of action comics. Uh, let's see. They show uh, Flashpoint uh, Batman Volume One Number Three Twenty One. Yep. Uh, obviously. Oh, he did uh, Legends Dark Knight. He he definitely did a lot of covers. Yeah. Um, oh, he did the cover to Batman versus Hulk. That's yeah. so funny. That's crazy. <laughs> And his his style, it's um, you know, as as we we talk about like other other influences, it looks so much like Dave Gibbons' style in here. Like I, it really gave me pause because I was like, that's not Dave Gibbons, but it looks like it. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, I I did a double take myself a couple times. And it's like, oh, I wonder if he helped on some of this. Like that's what I was thinking. Preliminary sketching, you know. Oh, he did uh, Venom. From Legend oh. of the Dark Knight. Really? Oh, great, great story. You guys covered uh, that on uh, on Splash uh, Pages. Yeah, lo- absolutely love that story. Yeah, so clearly uh, some some very good credentials here we have going into this this tale, this uh, alternate tale of a dooms of a survivor from the doomed planet Krypton, or. As we'll find out, the doomed planet that we never learned the friggin' name of in this comic book. <laughs> Head cannon. <laughs> Head cannon. You know, bring what you know from the real world, what you've heard and read about Superman in the past, and just apply that to what you think might happen in the comic. You know, infant falls to Earth, raised by farmers, develops superpowers. You know what? I think the episode's done, guys. I covered it well. Hey, have a good night, everybody. <laughs> So, so I'm assuming you have the phys- uh, physical copy of this book. Yes, I most certainly. This is actually the very first Elseworld that I ever purchased. So um, it, it looks like the cover has like a a, a, a rippled leather feel. Yes, that it does. Just... Yeah, that's just an illusion. Oh, okay. Yes, it's there to trick our tiny like minds. Like an old tome. Yeah. Right? Yes, it does have that old leather bound look to it. Um. However, it was uh, just a prestige format, uh, like five dollars, like either five dollar or four dollar else world, um, you know, just very thin and you know, semi hard uh, front and back, and it's probably you know, fifty pages long, if that. Is it large size, um, like art and in print? Is it or is it regular comic book size? It's a regular comic book size prestige format. Which worked out well for me because it fit in my long box without any issue. But uh, I most certainly read this from cover to cover many times. I, it 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 made me even more obsessed with the idea of of alternate realities for well known characters. 
And so, uh, yeah, I guess we we open the not quite leather bound tome, <laughs> not quite leather bound, not quite tome, and uh, we see that the trend for that design does continue on the inside for the for the very first page. It does look like it's a very old piece of parchment that is probably in a hand bound book, um, letting us know that we are indeed about to read Superman Cal, written by Dave Gibbons with art by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. For some reason, and, you know, this is just me and my brain being uh, mush, but uh, I get a very Defenders of the Crown feel. I don't know if anybody played that game. Defenders of the Crown. Holy crap. Yeah, it was like I played it on Commodore 64 in the uh, 80s. Okay, Grandpa. (laughs) (laughs) See, well, I thought it was uh, I thought it was on the NES. Uh, there was an NES version as well. It, okay. it, it was a popular game uh, during the eighties. Uh, it was on like Amiga, Commodore sixty four, NES. It was, was everywhere. It was video games wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was not the not the movie. Freeze big. the wizard. Use ice wand. Whatever it is. <laughs> But uh, no, I mean, I guess that makes sense because uh, Defenders of the Crown is like a medieval-based yeah. game, and this certainly takes place in medieval times. Um, and you know, we we start up on this this bad Larry here, and uh, what we're getting in our uh, our opening dialogue boxes here, it, it's very much clearly uh, a narrative. Uh, it's, it's almost as if someone's speaking to you. Uh, telling you the tale you're not quite reading it and uh it starts off showing the wanton destruction of the planet krypton as it's being torn apart by the forces within it and we see a very much more ornate looking jor-el and lara mm-hmm. um like a fur-lined cloak on jor-el and uh, a nice house of l seemingly metal necklace on on lara hanging from her neck uh, as they are putting their young baby into a a rocket ship that is very much uh the same rocket ship that was designed in the the 30s and 40s uh you know very metal and has the 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 wings on it on the bottom around the booster and everything and and a, a, a pin tip and uh that that needle just sticking out like eight friggin' feet from the nose of the, the rocket ship. And uh, we are we are just given the, these visuals quickly to establish like, okay, look, that's Krypton being destroyed. We see the rocket ship blasting off from uh, the explosion just after we see the baby put inside of it. The baby is clearly the sole survivor of this doomed planet. And uh, our narration over this, it's not really in in time with what we know of the character, the sci-fi origins of Superman, Kal-El from Krypton, uh, where this person is saying, magic? You wish to learn of magic, eh, lad? Well, in truth, I suppose it is time we began your education. Draw close. The first lesson is this. All things are born of fire. And, you know, it just, obviously, that's why we have this fiery, destructive scene in front of us. All things are born from it. And this is clearly the very beginning of our story, as far as we, the audience, are concerned. And the narrator is is letting their listener know 
that they are about to hear what is likely going to be a magical yet probably tragic tale about somebody named Cal. And we move on to see that same rocket making its way. And the narrator saying, have I not told you of Cal? No? Well, since you're finished with the day's labors and supper's not yet ready, rest easy, and while the fire does its work, I'll tell you Cal's story. That is, as much of it as, as much as I know of it. For the beginnings of his legend are lost in time's misty veils, but it seems he was found in a field. And it's important to note that this is giving us all the very, it's the same imagery that we know. Like it's just been ingrained in like pop culture consciousness. We, we know that rocket's going to land on earth. Of course he was found in a field. Where else would that rocket land? Who's going to find him? A couple of farmers. Duh, right? That's how the story of Superman goes. And we also do get a glimpse as the ship is approaching earth. Just outside of its atmosphere, it's not just the rocket that is about to descend, but also what seems to be a rather large shard of glowing green crystal right next to it. I miss that. It's on It's on both panels right there in the middle. You can see it just to the left on the middle panel and then right right there up up and to the left. But uh, yeah, so we get we get all of the ident- identifiable stuff. We they have established very visually who it is that we're about to see a story for, and uh, yeah, we see crows on a on a broken down old fence, and that's clearly land that's been tilled and maybe planted, and it looks uh looks like it's it's God's country out there. But one thing that you should be aware of right off the bat, I know it's something that I always caught is that. There's an awful lot of hills in that scene at the very bottom. And one thing about the Midwest, particularly in areas like Kansas, is there's no such fucking thing. Everything is flat land out there. It's a hundred percent accurate. Yep. Be, being out here, I can tell you that's one of the things that bugs the hell out of me. Yeah. You can just see to the horizon forever in a day and it, it's unnerving. <laughs> I mean, it's unnerving for someone like me. I literally come from a from a city that's made out of hills. So, like, thanks, Boston. But uh, yeah, it, I, it's something I, I always made note of. That that's one of the things right away, outside of the the shots of Krypton and a rocket ship, that should indicate that things are not quite what we're used to them being. He is clearly not landing in Smallville, Kansas. And that's when we go to the next page. And, of course, the rocket hits. And there's the usual skidding with the... You know, the cool sci-fi cooling down noise. And uh, we see two people approaching. And they're speaking in what one can only assume as medieval Cockney accents. Which I am (laughs) not going to attempt speaking in. So uh, if, if you were looking forward to that, gang... Sorry, I'll get you something next Christmas. Okay. <laughs> and uh, these two, they they approach and um, they they look like farming peasants from the medieval times. I mean, full on, no doubt about it. 
and uh, the they're trying to figure out what in blazes they just saw happen. And uh, as they as John Jonathan, I mean, they're still John and Martha. That's they're still their names because those are very old timey names. They've definitely survived the the eras. Um, <laughs> he's well worried about it being like the work of the devil. And the second she sees that baby, game over. Does not matter. She's like, it's a babe and a silver egg. You know, like they do. <laughs> it's a baby, is. <laughs> it's a baby, is. We're going to take care of him forever and ever. <laughs> going to be the best St. Swimming's Day we've ever had in this farm. Kippers again for breakfast. <laughs> Blimey. <laughs> so, yeah, and the... the uh, it's you know the egg there, and she's like, "Oh, Johnny's lovely," and uh, you know, "Oh, oh, a babe, John, and he's all ours." And he's just like, "Yeah, I suppose he is, like by rights," but I don't know. This still seems like witchcraft to me. All yeah. right, dude, I don't think you have a choice in the matter, right? <laughs> it's nice to know that Martha was always just like, "Nah, this is my kid now." <laughs> like every reality, no, sorry, you can shut up. We're taking him home. And uh, I think he wanted a child too, and he did, but you yeah. know, he was still a superstitious man. And oh, you know, definitely medieval oh, well, times more than that, because that last sentence he says is pretty jarring. Well, yeah, and that's the thing, it, it's not just him that was superstitious, it was everybody else. So, if they got wind of some giant silver egg dropping from the sky that had a baby in it, then yeah, they would likely kill him, his wife, and the baby, they would burn them all at the stake. Um, but yeah, she's just like, I'll take him, I'll take him inside because it's it's nasty out here and he should be indoors. And John's just like, Yeah, sure. I'm just one guy with a shovel. I guess I'll fucking take care of this thing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and quote buries the rocket ship. Uh, we'll see later on just how great a job he did. <laughs> and uh then we we get a little bit of a you know montage uh as they do in some of these things and you know, uh, they they're looking after the baby, and they just kind of told people that uh, it was uh, Martha's dead sister's kid, uh, and they were taking him in and raising him as their own. Uh, so he was still family, and nobody questioned it because you no know, people could barely fucking read, let alone send out inquiries about somebody's next of kin. And uh, that's when they started to realize, like he uh, he was much stronger than he should have been at, at his age. And he also um, could like do certain things. Like he could see, see through things and uh, he didn't get sick or really hurt. Um, his teeth stayed like perfectly healthy and white. And at a time where black tooth was, was a thing. Yeah. You know, you have, you have people dying, like getting scurvy on land. Uh, and this kid was, you know, healthy as a fiddle, fit as a fiddle, healthy as a horse. Sorry. I confused my idioms. And, uh, you know, they they got to the point where John, Jonathan, much like in the reality we know, he starts telling the kid, like, listen, you got to kind of like play it down there, kid. Just, you know, kind of walk around and stoop your shoulders and don't talk to anybody. Don't bring any attention to yourself and you'll be fine. And uh, so once again, nice to see that John still like got his head about him to realize like other people out there are very stupid. So you need to be much smarter than them. And, uh, it, you know, time goes by and now, uh, you know, it gets to the point where we find out that 
by the time Cal's 12 years old, he's able to do um, m- as much work on the farm in one day that Jonathan, it would take Jonathan to do in a week, week and a half. So we flash forward and we see that Cal is likely about 17 or 18. And uh, he's just cutting through logs at super speed to pile up for, for uh, kindling and what have you. And uh, that's when they get visited by uh, the blacksmith from in town, uh, all O L L and his son, Jamie. And it's uh, worth noting that uh, all and his son, Jamie are both, uh, both redheaded. All is this big, burly bearded, redheaded blacksmith. And Jamie's a bit more of a dinky teenage kid. All's complaining about to uh, Martha and Jonathan saying like, yeah, I try to teach him how to do blacksmith stuff, but he just wants to read and learn science like his mother. Ugh, gross. Did you get the play on his name? And I was just going to say, okay. <laughs> and it's important. It's important when we're looking at those things to see that it's uh, all and his son, Jamie. So Jamie is all son. This is Jamie Olson in Cal's medieval reality here. And uh, they meet, and Jamie and Cal become instant pals. They 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 just buddies right from the word go. And uh, you know the reason all is there is to reshoe their horses. And as he's making conversation and doing the work, he uh, makes note to uh, <laughs> to Martha and Johnny's just like, what what the hell is this? Did I even need to come out here? Like. Have you even been using your horses, man? There's barely any wear on these things. Of course, he's still changing them for them, which I love. He's, <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, there's like no wear on these. That'll be 50 bucks, you know? Um, and, you know, he's just like saying all that stuff. We, we move on uh, to the next page. And uh, we see that, meanwhile, Jamie and, and Cal are just playing a game of conquers that Jamie was trying to explain to him. And uh, as they're doing it, a bull bust loose from from the the yard the the barn and uh it comes right at them and just as jamie basically finished putting his head between his legs so he could kiss his ass goodbye uh he he looks up and uh you know his father and jonathan are there and cal's just kind of standing there and john's uh admonishing cal like come on man what the fuck are you doing (laughs) You had one job. <laughs> that's when you see the upward view above Cal's head. He just took the bull and threw it, and it landed in the tree above them, and all saw the entire thing. And uh, so as they're walking away, all says to John, he's like, oh, man, looks like uh, he's even stronger than I thought. Looks like uh, blacksmithing is definitely the trade for him. And John's like, no, no, no. We need him here as a farmer. Where all pretty much explains to him, like, no, I think you can afford a couple of guys to work here, take take his place. I mean, you've been doing pretty well for yourself for a few years here. And uh, you wouldn't want folk getting the notion that his strength was, well, unnatural, would you? And, of course, Jonathan's hands are tied. Like, okay, fine, take him. But I'd rather he and both of us be safe and you can teach him a trade than keep him here and, you know, risk certain death. And uh, he he tells him like, oh, I'm fair, man. You can you can hold on to him until uh, until you know it get you know winter comes around that we can get everything ready for you. And uh, I'll just come grab him at Yuletide. No big deal. Just rip your kid from your arms at Christmas. So uh, <laughs> just one more season. 
Yep, just one more season, and too bad, buddy. You, you got to go learn how to bend metal. I'm sure that'll be really difficult for Cal, everybody. The guy Sorry, from Krypton. That, that meant to be a Star Wars joke. For I was just oh, thinking. I yeah, I, I was thinking that's what you were talking about because I was like, this reminds me of Luke and that damn moisture farm. Oh my yeah. god. <laughs> but I was gonna go to Toshi Station get some power converters. <laughs> At least I never thought the cow was even remotely close to being that whiny in this. Thankfully. Um, not and he's that I not don't killing any womp rats. <laughs> oh man, Luke, what a boring existence that kid lived. But uh, anyway, <laughs> he got we, better. <laughs> he got better. So yeah, we uh, we we see the next shot. It's a splash page um, of Lexford. That's the the town, the village uh, that the farm is just outside of, and um. You know, all as it's as it's stating in the the narrative, uh, he he actually didn't care about natural, unnatural witchcraft, witchcraft, the devil, God. He only cared about you know money. He he was a, he was a merchant. He cared about mercantilism. Uh, and when he saw Cal and how strong he was, he just got you know dollar signs in his eyes, or I guess uh, pence signs in his eyes. I, I don't know what they used for for. Pounds? I don't know. Fucking gold doubloons in his eyes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he. But he. Knew uh, they use itchy was... and scratchy books. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, so yeah, he's just he's just super pumped to have Cal there because now he's actually going to have an apprentice that will likely be more um amenable to learn what he has to teach and likely up to the physical task of it. You know, unlike his son Jamie. Um, and he gets there and Cal is just, you know, he's, he's struck with awe at how, how many people there are and, and all the bustling about. And, um, he's just like, I've never seen anything like this. And so many folks and Jamie tells him like, Oh, just wait till the fair gets here. He's like, there's even more people. <laughs> you know, and, and he just asks Jamie, like, do you live in the big castle over there? <laughs> Jamie in the nicest way is like, <laughs> No stupid. <laughs> like I'm a blacksmith's son. Uh, that's where Baron Luther lives. He's like, I sleep in a drawer. <laughs> Baron Luther of Lexford lives in that castle. Um, and, uh, just, just real quick. In the 13th century, the principal currency of exchange was a silver penny or sterling. The silver groat was produced as an isolated issue in 1279, but did not come into general circulation until the following century. He had silver pennies in his eyes. See? So, so see that, uh, Leo, it's going to take you um, at least 100 years to get your Dogecoin uh, in your Shiba before it'll be acceptable. Jeez. Oh, don't say that because I have some too. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to hear that. None of that business. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we, we, we just come up to the scene where uh, they arrive at, at um, All in Sons Blacksmith. Uh, and they start unloading a bunch of uh, wood from the back of the, the carriage that was bringing them in. And um, as they're doing it, there's a couple of uh, of Luther's guards that they call the bully boys uh, that purposefully bump into Cal as he's carrying an, an armload of, of timber uh, whilst holding a, a, I don't know, a, a stein or whatever you want to call it, of a, a, a dram of mead. 
uh, and just tells him basically like, oh, you should stay out of my way. You know, normal bully, big guy, tough guy bullshit. And, uh, you know, all just immediately starts apologizing. Oh, sorry, gentlemen. He, he's new in town. He doesn't understand to not be in your way. <laughs> we'll take care of that. Sorry. He's not and used to the big city. I'm not used to people's. And, uh, you know, that's that's his big welcome to uh, to Lexford is is that right there. And, um, you know, moving from there, we we see that, you know, Cal starts to learn the, the trade. He he goes to the Smithy Forge and just bangs out work like nobody's business. And um, he he learned quickly. He he did more work than all ever expected him to be able to do. And uh, because Cal is such a just a nice kid, everybody like in the family absolutely loved him. He, he became like another brother to Jamie and his his sister and another kid to the all to all and his wife. And um, then, you know, they kind of say that the girls in the village by springtime started noticing Cal a little bit more. And he started noticing them, noticing him, noticing them, you know, fun puppy love kind of crap. And uh, he's he's just kind of doesn't know what to do with himself other than be at the smithy. And, um, <clears throat> you know, Jamie starts he's not a stupid kid, <clears throat> but he starts asking certain questions. He's just like, hey, how come your skin never blisters when you spend all that time in there? Said the fair redheaded kid. <laughs> yeah, with his translucent skin. <laughs> right? I, can, I can actually see your central nervous system. And, uh, you know, they he's just like, uh, I don't know, uh, but don't tell anybody about it because it sounds like the kind of thing that would get us in a lot of trouble, <laughs> please. And right at that moment, there's a, a declaration, a decree made um, on behalf of Baron Luther. They're going to have a, a tournament uh, and joust in celebration of the Lady Louise's Louis, 16th birthday. So there is a, a maiden Louise, clearly Lois Lane in this um and she is the daughter of their murdered protector lord lane and luther has been holding her captive and uh the the uh events seem to be containing uh single combat archery strength and wrestling and everyone men of course are uh, welcome to present themselves and give it a shot on that day and immediately all the all the young girls that are enamored of Cal in, in town, just, you should go, Cal. You're so big and strong. And, uh, you know, Jamie's just standing by alone. Lexford needs a hero, man. Like, I don't know why they think it's him, but they, they're sure, they're sure the fucking key members of his fan club. That's for, that's for damn sure. And, um, you know, we get there the next day. It looks very much like, uh, you know, the scene for, Getting a, a kiss from Maid Marian and Disney's Robin Hood. Just uh I, I love the design for uh Luthor here. And just like this picture of him on the bottom where he's just like got his hands on, on Lois's face. Oh. Just so it's so cool. He looks like a muscular Telly Savalas. Right exactly. There. He looks like yeah. Telly Savalas. Yeah, absolutely. Because he's a player. And the way they drew uh Luis there or Lu- Lois uh However, we pronounce it. Lois. Yeah, Lois. Um, it look looks like they they drew her like you know a um, like a fifties actress. I thought she looked like Olivia Betty Davis. De Havilland. 
I, th- I thought Betty Davis. Yes, yes. I, I was thinking um, Olivia de Havilland from Adventures of Robin Hood. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I, I would, only would it be a fair maiden? Because <laughs> that's what she is. I get it. Slow and, clap. Yeah, and uh, you know <laughs> that was well placed. We we see everything going down here, and they're just like, let's hear three cheers for Baron Luther. Hip hip. I said three, and then you know Luther's just like. Yeah, you can shut up. I don't care if they like me. They just have to be afraid of me. Like, that's a that's a solid leader right there, gang. That's the kind of person <laughs> you want running your shit. Eek. This is the guy that makes sure that everyone's fed. All right, cool. Never mind. No, I'm fine. Yeah, with but it. to what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to what? <laughs> uh, and you know, he he he's he goes immediately into uh, harassing and assaulting Lois. I mean, touching her when she doesn't want to be touched. That's assault, brother. And, it's so uh, weird and creepy. Yeah, and you know he's like, "Oh well, you know you're old enough to get married now, sixteen year old Louise. You should be, you should be speaking of loving me." And she's like, "Love you? I would die first. And then he's like, "Oh well, enough of that palaver. Let the tournament begin." And uh, that's when, you know, we just see that you know there's all kinds of uh, people attempting, but we find out that Baron's um the Baron's black shirts, you know, is his guards. Um, they're the ones uh, fighting in each portion of the tournament, and uh, it, as as it is, the Shire's knights had been murdered in their beds at the start of Luther's reign of terror, and it left only the inexperienced squires to do battle. Uh, that's why everyone's getting mollywopped and having their asses handed to them. Uh, and after after sitting around and, and what have you, they um. You know, they they they, what is it? Um, blah, 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 what is it? Yeah. Oh yeah. There's an, another announcement I made. You know, uh, those wishing to contest their strength step forward now. And this is for the, the you know the strength contest. And finally, um, you know, the, after being egged on by so many people, one girl says to Cal, like she's kind of giggling to herself, and she says, "You might want a kiss from Lady Louise, Cal." And that fucking goosed him and he was like what i could get a kiss from that pretty girl okay and so he jumps out of the crowd over the fence and runs right over and starts participating in the the you know it's like festivus the feats of strength and uh he just lifts a boulder right over his head and he wins a man one man on man tug of war i guess (laughs) the only thing i could think of there um, yeah, I, I think that's shorthand for strength. <clears throat> yeah, I think so. Yeah, oh, pulling on a rope. Absolutely, that that takes strength. I got it. Nailed it. I, I love that his dad showed up. Oh, all? Yeah. 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 No, 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 not all. Uh, Jonathan. Jonathan. Wait, where, where? Oh, yep, yep. Okay, yeah. Well, it makes sense. It's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, yeah. He'll, it, be, he'll be on some of the subsequent pages, too. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, as we, as we get past that, uh, Luther turns to some muscle bound idiot that looks like a circus strongman from the twenties, uh, <laughs> that he wants Cal stopped. And so he goes out there and it, it's for the, the wrestling uh, portion of the tournament. And the guy go, he, he comes right out and, uh, grabs Cal right around his torso, knocks him off balance, gets him on the ground. And it turns out he has a spike on one of his wrist cuffs that's um, filled with snake venom. And he goes to penetrate 
uh, Cal's, Cal's chest with the spike to kill him. And of course, the spike just completely bends against the Cal's skin because he's fucking Superman. Not obviously not going to do it to him. Um, it takes the guy completely by surprise, and Cal just seemingly kicks him right in the fucking balls and <laughs> sends him flying. Yep. And um, the winner is, of course, Cal. And uh, you know, Luther's pissed. He's got his fun little green emerald glowing around in a necklace on his neck uh which so fun and fancy wherever did he get such a thing he's he's very pissed that this guy won and uh lois says no no i'll present this prize for you and uh she walks over and you know just you know introduces herself essentially and he's just like duh hi pretty <laughs> yeah. lady uh-huh, uh-huh. i like your pointy hat and uh, we we see in the next page that they're both just like staring into each other's eyes. And um, there's probably a very awkward silence as this occurs for everybody else, because uh, clearly for them, the world has stopped. And uh, then Luther just gets impatient. He's like, what are you waiting for, peasant? You've had your moment of glory and approaches Cal whilst wearing that glowing green jewel around his neck. And as soon as he approaches him, Cal starts to like get woozy and feel faint and Luther begins to mock him like, Oh, no strength left. Well, let me help you back down. Kicks him off the, the stage where the, the, uh, you know, the presentation is taking place. And, uh, he managed to get Lois, Luis's scarf that she had handed to him and, uh, all carries him, you know, back to, uh, back to the Smithy and, you know, the next scene we see is a big splash of Cal beaming ear to ear <laughs> as he's uh, banging out something in the shape of an L, it looks like. And uh, he's clearly very, very happy with the encounter he had with Lois. He does not care about anything that happened with Luther. And um, he's probably, you know, walking on sunshine. And uh, whoa, that's... whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> and. And yeah. where where does Michael J. Fox come into this? <laughs> <laughs> My God, I didn't see, see a Teen Wolf anywhere in this thing. See here, <laughs> she she looks a little bit more like Judy Garland. Yeah, I can kind of see that. Like especially that lower um, that lower left panel there. But she's definitely got the the blue Betty Davis eyes. Like yes, yeah, I'll I'll give you the Betty Davis eyes in this one and in the other page, but. Her her yeah. face does kind of look different in in spots where it's like yeah it's kind of resembling someone else so fair enough yeah the, the art's great though I mean it's it's super expressive and it's like the style is simplistic enough and it's detailed and in the coloring is is a real star of this book too because like just oh. looking at it it's everything's changed like there's limited amount of purples and like fantastic colors on this page. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's all very beautifully constructed, like from stem to stern. And uh, what we what we come up across up up onto here is um, it's clearly like autumn. We can see that the leaves are yellowing, turning orange on on the branches, uh, and uh, we see that Cal and uh, Lady Louise are having a little bit of a clandestine meeting, 
uh, she snuck out of the castle dressed as a, uh, a, a kitchen maid because Luther went off uh, on a boar hunt the first of the season and he was going to be away for some time so he wouldn't be around to see this happen. And, um, you know, as they're standing there, uh, he Cal just quickly whips his head and he's just like, he's coming now. And Lois is like incredulous. And she's like, Luther, he's like, yes, quickly, we have to hide. And all of a sudden you see him in his men on their horses with their, their hound dogs uh, going by at breakneck speed. And um, then the next two panels down, we see that Lois and Cal are actually standing uh, about 25, 30 feet up in a tree. Uh, and she says to him, you climb so fast. We seem to fly. And he's like, surely not. My, I mean, Lois, no, definitely not flying. Who can do such a thing? <laughs> and uh, But then he says, but we can go down more slowly if you wish. Hold tight now. I would hold tight forever, Cal. And then they have their first kiss. Aww. 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 And uh, then going past that, we come across uh, Luther and his, his uh, gang of unruly dickheads. And it turns out they are on uh, the farm that belongs to Jonathan and Martha. And while there, it, the dogs start to unearth the rocket ship that Jonathan had, quote, buried... 18 years previous and uh you know like i said bang up job because it took them literally like a minute and a half of uncovering with dirt to see what it was yeah he could have kicked it with his shoe yeah. like for real uh and luther sees it and it, i mean obviously it's a big shiny thing so he's like is this yours and the farmer's like no it's not mine and Luther's like, oh, so if it's not yours, then it must be mine then. Thank you for keeping this here on your farm. I'll be taking it. Doop, 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 doop. And, classic. I mean, yeah, totally classic Baron Luther. That guy, I tell you. If, if I had a silver penny for every bit of farmer's property he took. <laughs> I, He'd take that too. <laughs> <laughs> he would take that too because I would likely be working on a farm. But, uh. Yeah, he 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 tries to get an explanation. You know, John just like it fell from the sky. That's that's it. You can take it. It's it's not a big deal. And uh, you know, one of the guards says like, "Oh, maybe it's maybe it's uh like your gemstone. Didn't that come from a from the heavens like a comet too?" And you know, he's like, "This this metal it, it has no it, it's of unearthly quality. It, it's not rusted. It shows no taint, and uh, it's harder than any armor I've ever seen." And uh, that's when Martha chimes in and she's like, oh, Armor, uh, our son is apprenticed to Alda Smith. Maybe he could make a, a fine suit of armor from that very metal. And so Luther's convinced, because it took an awful lot to convince him to take it, I'm sure, uh, to bring it directly to the blacksmith and have them fashion some armor out of it. And uh, leaves the, well, I mean, for lack of a better term, Kent's, uh, thanking their lucky stars for the fate that was that was handed out to them just then, and that is to say, <laughs> surviving. They did not get killed. So we come to All's Smithy, and there's the rocket. We they're unloading it off off a carriage, and uh, Luther, of course, is in tow, and uh, Cal 
is part of working on this metal, but as Luther gets near him again, he's starting to feel pretty weak and, uh, you know, frail again. And uh, all is inspecting the metal, and he's just like, I don't know. I this is a pretty hard metal. I don't. I might not be able to build a fire hot enough to to work it. Where Luther informs him, Oh, you better, or I'll build a fire for those who study spells and those with unholy strength and those who harbor them. You get it. And uh, all being a smart man, very shrewd, says, Absolutely. You want to make sure I get this done. So, what kind of design do you want on the breastplate? <laughs> and uh, that was a, that was the right move, I think, because the alternative was, you know, death. Seems like that's always like the second choice with Luther. It's like armor or death, tournament or death. So seems reasonable. Yeah, we see we <laughs> absolutely Baron Luther is likely nothing if not reasonable, and uh, we see all going at it with uh with the heat and the hammer and nothing is marring this metal and cal now feeling much better from that strange fainting spell he had earlier walks in and uh he says why don't you let me take a crack at it and uh we are we are being told through our narrator that um soon the forge roared with a hellish fury that none but cal could have withstood and though all thought it but a trick of the flames, Cal's eyes appeared to grow, glow with inner power, and his mighty breath seemed to fan the fire as, miraculously, the metal began to yield. So Cal is clearly using his heat vision and super breath to make it this so that this metal is malleable enough to actually mold. And uh, using his super strength in tow, he goes to town. And uh, finally, after all that work, they load it up and they bring it to Castle Luther. And uh, they present it to Baron Luther in the Great Hall. And uh, he, he puts it on right away and then commands one of his guardsmen to attack him. And he says, smite me. And the guy swings full strength his sword directly at the at the middle of the the armor that Luther is wearing, and the sword completely shatters. And that's when you get a glimpse of that armor that was designed by Cal, and you see the breastplate design in the middle of it is the S insignia that we have come to associate completely with Superman. How about those uh, shit kickers that he has on, huh? Yeah, those fucking spikes on those bad boys. Woo! Like, that's for climbing walls or something. I don't... Jesus Christ. Why would you... Why would you wear shoes that pointy, guys, at any at any given point? I don't understand. Um, horse riding? You want to really make oh, sure the horse feels... Like you mean fucking kill the horse? It's horse riding, not <laughs> horse murdering. All I can think of is it, it to me, represented something that's cruel. You know, like, um, like he put it there for nefarious reasons. Like, oh yeah, yeah, it's it's vague. It's vaguely reminiscent of the Wicked Witch of the West's feet curling up (laughs) underneath. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. Sure. Um, but yes, they uh that they go through all that that presentation there, and um, you know, Lex being feeling like he's the big badass because of this impenetrable suit of armor, he turns to. 
the only person he th- feels is a real threat, Cal, and says, you, Smith boy, are you afraid of me? And, you know, Cal, as Lex Luthor gets close, I mean, as Baron Luthor gets closer, starts to feel weaker because of the green gemstone that Luthor is still wearing over the armor around his neck. And, um, you know, they, they're just like, oh, leave Cal alone. He's so tired after his long labors. He did all this, blah, 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 blah. And uh, Luther's like, oh, well, you're the one that did it. Well, you worked so hard. You, I'll prove just how generous I can be. Name your price, Smith. And, uh, you know, all is just like, well, no, no, it's not me. It's the kid. It was Cal. So, you know, you should reward him. And Luther says, fine, I don't care who actually did it. Speak up if you've got the strength. What do you want? And Cal looks right at him and says, I only want one thing. The hand of the fair lady Lois in marriage. And Luther immediately <laughs> lifts up the hand to fucking backhand him across the alley. And uh, immediately Lois goes, I accept. I accept with all my heart, dear Cal. <laughs> and uh, Luther realized he was in between a rock and a hard place because he publicly offered it. And it was publicly accepted by by Lois, so he's he he's he's in a pickle. He has to let it happen. And um, you know, we 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 move forward, and uh, within the month, they are married. Um, they're having a big old party just outside of the church, and uh, the streets of Lexford are just a big old party, and everyone's happy for the new you know lovely couple. And uh, it even shows Martha and Jonathan sitting there and. You know, she she's shit faced and saying, Oh, you you look pretty good when you're clean. He's like, Oh, great. We're married to nobility. I guess I'll have to take a bath every month now. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> oh man. And uh, you know, we just we move on. Everyone's having fun with the revelry, and uh Louis and Clark, I mean uh, and Cal are are just dancing slowly, kind of dance staring into each other's eyes. And then the midnight bell strikes and as we move past the party, we see uh, terror is also striking alongside the bell. And that is because Luther has sent his black shirts in to retrieve Lady Louise. Because as Jamie puts it in this, um, surely even Luther wouldn't invoke the droit de seigneur. I don't know why they went with that. I, I, I didn't look it up. It certainly sounds French. Um, but for anybody that's ever watched certain other things like Braveheart and what have you, it's prima nocta. He's invoking prima nocta that the first, the first night of a marriage, um, the, the, the Lord, the, the nobility uh, of an area, they, they reserve the right to take the virginity of the bride. Uh, so I just looked it up and, uh, so of medieval feudal Lord. Uh, it's um, Lord's Night, uh, also known as Jus Primus Nocte. Prima Nocte, yep. Yep. Uh, that was, was the joke in Avengers where, um, you know, the, the Tony Stark said the first thing he was going to do if he was in charge was uh, bring back Prima Nocte. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> that, yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh was supposed to be a legal right in medieval Europe allowing feudal lords to have sexual relations with subordinate women in particular on the wedding nights of the women. Yeah, just, you know, to prove they were bastard-coated bastards with bastard filling. Yep. <laughs> and uh, 
so yeah, he he rolls in and um, Luther is is straight up right there. He is right there to say to Cal like, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm fucking doing this." And um, of course, he's wearing the armor and the green gemstone around it. So when Cal tries to fight back and say like, "No," as soon as Luther gets near him, he goes weak because it's kryptonite and it's slowly poisoning him. Um, because he goes down like a sack of potatoes. Luther is able to take Lois along with his goon squad and uh, they put an egg in their shoe and beat it. And, uh, and uh, that's when we <clears throat> find Luther in his chambers with uh, Lady Lois and uh, he is disrobed to a degree. He is taking his belt off in front of her as well. And uh, he starts saying like you know we need to remove your gown and ooh you know she fights back he's like I like a wench with spirit and uh, he goes to kiss her and uh, she bites his lip to the point where he starts like bleeding profusely from his mouth and so he uh, backhands her pretty pretty roughly and uh, calls her a bitch and uh, rips her gown and then just starts saying how he she's making him very angry, lifts up his fist, and uh, then we just see two of his guardsmen standing outside of the chamber door where he says, he keeps saying bitch, and she says no, and then he says bitch again. And uh, then the door opens, and you can see her body uh, bloodied and broken on the floor, and... He tells them to clean up this mess and throw the body in the moat. And yeah, it's fucking horrid <clears throat> in any era. And that brings us to Cal, who has been down for the count since he was exposed to the kryptonite. And he uh, he finally wakes up and he's freaking out. He's like, where's Lois? Where's Louise? Luther took her. Where is she? And uh they they start saying like you know relax relax and you know the the guards come for him and uh they say like they have a warrant for the boy cal's arrest and cal uh he just he gets up and crashes through the door past them and looks at everyone standing outside and just starts saying where is she over and over again until finally um one of uh, Lady Louise's um, uh, maidens in waiting comes to him and says that she has the most terrible news and that's when the narrator tells us that Cal listened numbly like a great still statue for a frozen moment an awful silence hung over the smithy and a single tear rolled down Cal's face Louise that's all he said and then he had a grim determination that stirred his powerful frame, and he walked back into the smithy, came right back out with something wrapped in cloth that looks very much like it's in the shape of a sword, and he straps it to his back. And he is just ready to take the fight directly to Luther. He straight up tells his guards, I'm not going to do anything to you guys. I know the guy i got to go after. And uh, he, he starts making his way, and we get this cool splash image of... Cal walking down the streets of Lexford making He's his way. Pissed. Oh, he is definitely not a happy dude. 
and uh, he's he's walking towards Castle Luther to make Luther pay for what he had done. And uh, they approach. He's got the town the townspeople at his back supporting him and waiting to to help him in the fight. And they get there, and uh, the the guards at the turrets and everything they're just like, oh, this this is a revolt. Quick, raise the drawbridge. We don't want the townspeople to hurt us. Like we've hurt them for countless years now. <laughs> and uh, you know, everybody gets to their posts and they uh they pull out the crossbows and they start, you know, raining down arrows. And of course, several people get hit, including Jamie. He catches one to the left shoulder, nothing lethal, thankfully. Uh and uh Cal is getting hit with stuff, but of course it's just breaking and bouncing right off his skin. And he finally just once he sees that Jamie got hit, he spins around and uses his heat ray vision to break the chains of the drawbridge to let it down. That way they can actually get into the castle. And uh, as soon as they do, they let let loose another flurry of arrows at him, doing precisely nothing other than wasting arrows. And uh, he gets to the gate. And as soon as he's standing there at the gate, they say, what a what a great phrase. Ready the molten lead. And uh, that's when, you know, Cal goes to lift up the gate and we see just as he starts, he easily rips it out of the wall and throws to the side. As Jamie says, as if it were the merest spider's webbing. And uh, that was the castle's last barrier. He, uh, he starts to make his way through it with the townspeople still at his back. And as he goes through, they dump an entire cauldron of molten lead over Cal. And everyone's freaking out because they're just, oh, Cal's done. He's dead, done for. And then as all the steam and, and smoke disappears and dissipates, they see, oh, no, that was just his clothes burning away. And he is now covered in this lead that is slowly cooling around his body, none the worse for wear. And we see from the cloth that had burned away, what the shape was that he brought with him. It is in fact a sword and it is made from the same metal that the armor was. He even put the same S shield uh, right above the hilt. And uh, he is, he's just walking naked except for of course his new uh, lead suit, I guess. And uh, they are, they're all just kind of staring at him and we get to uh, see what's happening up in the you know the top of the tower where Luther is, and uh, they're all gearing up for Cal to come through the the door, coming through like the main atriums and up the steps. <laughs> and instead, they turn around, and then we get a splash of Cal flying through the open window in the archway, with brandishing the sword directly at Luther. And they are now convinced that they are fighting a demon. And uh, we we move a f- we move a little ahead here and see that uh, they are going to basically have single combat to the death. Uh, Cal with his powers and sword and his, you know, his lead birthday suit. And uh, Lex with his Kryptonian-formed armor uh, and a piece of kryptonite around his neck. Uh, You know, sounds like two things that these guys should definitely each have. (laughs) Yeah. And... um, you know, the, the lead is likely protecting Cal a little bit from the kryptonite's effects uh, because lead is known to, to block kryptonite radiation. 
Um, and so when Luther hits him in the neck with an axe, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't cut his skin, but it does seem to like knock him off kilter. Um, and then Luther and he are, you know, he's kind of chasing after uh, Luther and Luther's trying to take him out with maces and what have you, but everything just keeps bending and breaking. And uh, as he's getting closer and closer, he's starting to notice that Cal is getting weaker and weaker. And when he's lying unconscious down on the ground from where he is on the top steps in the chamber, uh, he realizes that it's the gemstone that makes Cal weak, that the starborn jewel is the only thing that can harm him. So it's with that that he'll kill him. And so he jumps from the top of those steps, brandishing the point of the gemstone down downward in a stabbing motion uh, with his hands above his head. And he brings the full force of him falling down with the point directly into Cal's chest, looking to pierce his heart. And that's when we see at the last second that Luther only just realized what he did. And that's because Cal, right before Luther landed on him, grabbed the sword and pointed it upwards, piercing the you know uh, previously thought to be impenetrable armor and stabbing Luther directly through the heart and chest. And that's how Jamie found them. And we now learn from the narrator that he is, in fact, Jamie. That was how he came upon them, locked like that together in death. And his men afterwards fled from the castle, and they took the armor from Luther's body and then fed him to the hounds. <laughs> Cal lived. He was still alive, but he was very weak, even after the gemstone had been taken away. And they brought him home to the smithy, and they they tried to um, just ease his pain as he was clearly dying. In the meantime, uh, Lady Louisa's servants, they actually recovered her body from the moat where it was laid, uh, was thrown by Luther's men and they laid it to rest with dignity in Lake Lexford's placid depths. And then that afternoon, Cal died with his final breath. He asked that they bring his body to the tranquility of the lake as well. And they did clad in the armor and they did so that he might be able to sleep beside his love forever where we find now at the end of the tale, he Cal is starting to be a little maudlin about it. And he just says, ah, Cal, where you came from, I can never know. What you might have become in another place in time, I can only wonder. But of one thing I can be sure, I was proud to be your friend. And that's when a little voice kind of stutters, Master Olsen? <laughs> and he's, he's checking, he shows shows Jamie an old man and he's just like, Hmm, soup's almost done. Just needs something. Uh, anyway, what's up kids? Speak up. And the, and the kid says, well, master Olson, how, how could Cal's sword go through the magic armor and did one question at a time, one question at a time. You see, when Cal made the wonderful suit, he secretly forged the sword for himself from the self same metal. Metal, which was surely by his by right, part of a mysterious heritage beyond this world's dreams. 
and once it was edged and tempered, why even its brother Armor couldn't withstand Cal's blade, and they taste the soup. Hmm, perfect. And uh, then, you know, he uh, he says, um, now there was another question. And the kid says, yes, did you throw the sword in the lake too? And that's when Jamie tells him, the sword, oh, no, no. Cal used the last of his mighty strength to put that somewhere safe. With Luis beyond need of protection, he hoped that one day another might make good use of it. But that's enough of stories for one night, lad. Eat your soup. Now, then get some rest. There will be lessons anew on the morrow. And if you work hard and study long, then one day, like noble Cal, your name too might pass into legend, young Merlin. And then we also we get the shot of where the sword is. In an anvil like the kind you'd find at a smithy, showing us this sword that Cal created from his rocket that he was brought to Earth in is, in fact, Excalibur from Arthurian legend. Nice. And more to the point, that also shows that Lady Louise is the Lady of the Lake who provides the sword. Oh, geez, I didn't think of that part, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, I I didn't get that in the first read either. Yeah, she she, she was a little, well. I grew up with like Bullfinch's mythology and Edith Hamilton's mythology in my house. So like, by the time I read this, the second I got to the end and saw Young Merlin, I was like, oh, so much lines up now. <laughs> but yeah, like this blew my friggin' mind when I was yeah. a kid. It's it's crazy. I mean, it's it's got that element of tragedy to it. So it's it's um. It's not like a safe choice. So it's something where it's like this stuff happens and you have to deal with it at the end. <laughs> you know, like yeah. you're the reader, you have to cope with what just happened. Well, I, the, the thing is, too, like it, not every not every else world and what if is is constructed in such a way where it ties into like something you would think of as mythology. You know, this is sort of an outlier in, in a lot of those types of stories. It's always very self-contained, self-referential. Whereas this, it's taking, it's basically saying like, oh, this is actually like the prologue to the story that you all already know. <laughs> yeah. You know? That's and, the fun part. Yeah. And I, that there was just something about it that appealed to me then and still appeals to me now. I mean, I, I absolutely love this story. And, um, you know, I, I had mentioned to you guys, uh, you know, bef- before the show is like, it, it, it makes me like want more stories like this one for like the rest of the members of the justice league. And I don't mean as a team, but I'd love to see like individually and not even like tied into Arthurian legend. I would just love to see like their stories twisted into a point where it like locks in and it fits neatly into like what we know of an actual like myth like that. That would be cool. I would, I would love to see something along those lines done, but I'm, I've been quite fine with Cal as like the standalone in, in that regard as well. So if it was to do to Justice League, any myths come to uh, come to mind or points in history? Myths or points in history? Mm. The Let's round stop. table could be, you know, um, Robin yeah. Hood. Yeah, I mean, you could definitely do like, you could do a Green Arrow as Robin Hood thing, or you could do a Bruce Wayne as Robin Hood thing. And yeah. Really, like, really spin that one turn on its ear. Because like the go-to, the easy one, to, to assign to that would be green arrow um but like 
I mean, you could you could do you could still tie it into Arthurian legend, I suppose, and uh, have Green Lantern be like the Green Knight. Um, I mean, you you could you could still even try to play up and have Batman be kind of the bad guy and have him be Mordred in in Arthurian legend. They definitely but. have have touched on this before, and um, it, it's funny because I know specifically like Excalibur has touched on these, like the, for X Men, like we yeah. were talking about Nightcrawler earlier and all that. But like in the um, the Cross Time Caper, which was neither Cross Time nor a Caper, you know, <laughs> uh, they they definitely touched on this with Young Arthur and all that, and Kitty Pride was in it, so yeah. You know. But um, yeah, yeah they, they have done Legends of the Dark Knight where they had like the version, like medieval version of Batman. There's one going on right now. Yeah, it's Steel. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and the thing is, like, there are there are um, other else worlds that deal with like historical takes on characters. Um, there's there's one uh, that it's Superman again. Uh, we can we'll likely cover it at some point in the future. Uh, but it it's Superman, uh, but not Kal-El. It's his grandfather, like Gar-El. Oh. And he hmm. actually finds, it's, you know, like a generation, two generations earlier or whatever, but he discovers that Krypton is going to explode. No one really cares. And he says, well, screw you guys. I'm going home. <laughs> and he creates a ship to fit just himself. And uh, he did his research and found Earth. This is based a little bit more upon like the John Byrne Superman, where Jor-El actually knew where he was sending Kal-El when he sent him out in a rocket ship and didn't just like hope for the best. <laughs> um, and because of that, he did his research, realized he'd have powers when he got there, but only if his cells absorbed enough yellow solar radiation. So he fitted the inside of the ship with, uh yellow sun radiation emitters so his cells could just soak it up in the entire trip before he even touched foot on earth and uh when he lands it's right at the beginning of the american revolution and he he lands and is found by the british so he decides to team up with them and uh that's all i'll say about that it's actually a very interesting story it was done as an elseworlds annual uh, they did that for an entire year at DC where all the annuals across the different titles were, were done as Elseworlds for the characters. Um, yeah, they, that's they, a lot of annuals, like because mostly they're non not canon. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's one of the pluses about doing something like that with an annual is to is to just throw in an Elseworld tale. And uh, they were they were Elseworlds were, you know, all the rage at that point in time and. You know, they like I said, they did it a couple times. They did one with Batman as a pirate. Yeah, um, yep. They that, that's come out a couple times actually. That was also yep. in the uh, the hunt for Bruce Wayne. I'm not surprised. Um, they do one that um, actually deals with it's Steel, uh, John Henry Irons, and I actually think that they re, uh, like directly relate it to the the American folk hero myth of John Henry. Um, so, you know, there, there's a lot of interesting stuff where they do spins on, on histories and, and, um, lore and what have you, but, you know, it, it's just, it's fun to see something that is done like this, that could potentially be connected to a completely like previously unrelated tale altogether. And it doesn't really destroy 
the the thing that they're saying it's connected to you know if anything it just strengthens the tale that they told yeah um in the the fact that they hold on to that reveal until the very last page that last splash that you see it was done well because i i mean i remember reading it i did not see it coming i i didn't even like when he pulled out a sword and you know and went at luther with it no i didn't for a second think at all that that was going to end up being excalibur Oh, they totally teased that part with the anvil too by covering it. You see that on like the second to last page where it's like you see the anvil, but you can't see anything above it. Then you go to that next splash page and it's like, oh, you've got the sword in that anvil. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, in, in honestly, like I love the, the design of both the armor and the sword in this. Like, it, it, it almost makes me want like a replica of that sword in the stone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's pretty neat. Yeah. And uh, I remember when I read it and I like loved it so much. And I went, I went to my local comic book store and there was a new manager who had taken over a younger guy. He's probably about 10 years older than me. Um, And I walked in and I was like, Oh yeah, I just read Superman Cal. And he was like, Oh yeah, that thing sucked. And I was like, yeah, yeah. It was, it was the, <laughs> won't be it talking was the to you. Worst. It, was, it was so bad. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm done talking about it now because it's so bad. I, I certainly don't want to talk about it for sure. And he's but, like, Hey, you want to buy this young blood comic? You're like, uh, I gotta go over here. Yeah, I mean, honestly, <laughs> he, he was kind of like, Oh, but let me tell you about this X Men comic. Like, uh, no, like, did you hear pass? those five interlocking covers? Yeah, that's exactly, yeah. How do you feel about lenticular covers? I mean, like, I feel pretty great. <laughs> how do you what feel a die about die cut cover? <laughs> how do you feel about yeah? How do you feel about buying five copies of the same issue? Uh is there different stuff in each issue? No, just a different <laughs> cover. Oh, don't I forget feel, the sixth one that combined them all. I feel attacked. You're you're talking about the E cover. <laughs> <laughs> the E cover. <laughs> yeah, that's that's E. Uh, we, we we talked about that last week. Honestly, how many copies do you guys have of that? I have at least three copies, but one of them I, I totally took that poster off. So, like, I had that long vertical poster on the back side of the cover that was done by Jim Lee of all the villains. Jesus. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you how many I have in a second. Yeah. Wow, I, I, you, I, you literally know how many copies you have. Oh, of, uh, uh, we did an inventory recently with CLZ. Oh, neat. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing more disheartening than being excited about a story and thinking you can go like talk about it with other uh, people and like the safe place for it. And then immediately, like, I mean, for my own part, I'm glad that he said that before I said anything about how much I liked it. Maybe that uh, would have changed his opinion. Nah, no, no, I, it would not. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's a comic book store in the night. Yeah, it would thinking? not have changed his opinion. Uh, I don't go to the comic book store anymore because of this guy um it's not in the he's not like a bad person I, I i i can't stress that enough but like he's very conservative and that's in opinion, that's something that opinionated. you a lot you know with this like um with these comic book stores where it's like you find the people that that work there they like lose all hope of of like like oh i i sell these funny books about like heroes and stuff like that and i'm so you know just despondent with life and it's like what broke you man like you read about hope and all these characters and all that and you just miss all of those concepts all the time 
Yeah, I mean, honestly, that it, that's not even a problem with comic book store owners. Like, it's it's like kind of across the board with yeah, I guess it's like true. Long time misanthropic. Uh, yeah, sorry. yeah, <laughs> and uh, a lot of it too. It just flies in the face of like the characters that that they say that they adore. Like, oh, I don't like this. I don't like that. It's like, but you realize if the character that you were talking about right now were a real person, like they would really not like them, you. They would not agree with you at all, right? Yeah. Like, like, do you really think Superman would think that? Honestly? Oh, all right, cool. I mean, if you say so. So this Superman that never showed up and was like, I'm here to protect everyone except those people. <laughs> okay. No, <laughs> that's that's not how it works. In Champion of the Oppressed, 1938. There you go. It's you don't need more than that. Champion of the Oppressed. Um, if you're not one of the oppressed, guess what? <laughs> you're the other guys. <laughs> it's it's that simple. I, I know I know life isn't quite that binary, but when you look at the bad guys and then look at the good guys and your points tend to line more with the bad guys, mm, I, I got news for you. You're not one of the good guys. <laughs> it's Sometimes you have to point that out. Yeah. Um, forty-four copies, by the way. Wow. I I I was I admit I'm one of the reasons why the comic industry crashed. Yeah. Good job. Uh, How many copies of Wolverine Fifty do you have? (laughs) uh, That's the die cut cover. That's the die cut cover. Yeah. So so just real quick, there was five covers. I, I was mistaken, not six. Yeah, there's A, B, C, D, and E. Uh, yep. Uh, yeah, I have five of A, ten of B, nine of C, then ten of D and E. You sunk my battleship. Uh, well, what What's the max price on something like that? Three dollars? Uh, it's probably like fifty cents. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> uh, Wolverine, Worth it. Wolverine number fifty. Yeah. Uh, I only have two. Only. I, I'm impressed you had two, to be honest. So. <laughs> Maybe uh, that's why I didn't buy a lot of Marvel as a kid, too. It was just all flashy covers. I think it depends. Like, like going back to what you were saying about like, like talking to people when sometimes like there is that aspect of, of being like a little bit snobbish and, you know, it's like you ask someone, it's like, oh, you read comics? Cool. What do you like? Punisher. And I'm like, Ugh. ah. No, like, but I mean, I don't but, think you get it. <laughs> do you? But do you like good comics or? <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh yeah, what 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 Punisher comic? And and, and uh, your your buddy uh, Mark uh, would definitely disagree with me at this point. He'll be like, I love every Punisher Max and all that. Okay, cool. You know, and and the way he talks about it, it's it's awesome. I just remember in the '90s, you know, when someone said they're reading Punisher comics and all that, I'm like, do you even read comics, bro? You know, Ooh, that's a that's a that's a rough question. Yeah, because I'm like, you haven't even gotten oh, no. to the point where this character's good. Like, it's you're not even close. You know, I read I read Punisher in the nineties. Of course you did. Why wouldn't you? Well, I mean, it's it's fine. Like each to their own. But it's like this is not like Eisner Award winning materials. Like I remember reading uh, Venom, Lethal Protector, and then after it was Funeral Pyre. Right. And it was like Venom and Punisher versus like a new guy who could like emit microwaves and stuff like that. And it's like so a guy I, that could just like prep your hungry man dinner. Good stuff. 
Well, yeah. I mean, it was interesting because um, every time Punisher would shoot at him, because that was his answer to shoot at the kid who was a teenager that went through an accident. Let's shoot him. Well, you can't shoot him because he melted the bullets. So Punisher had to figure out a different way to kill this kid. So Wait, wait, hold on. He melted the, the bullets that had the gunpowder in them. Right. Uh, no, they would be just slugs, uh, right? Because the gunpowder would have, uh, like, that would be in, like, just an actual, like, bullet cartridge. But wouldn't the heat from the slug being melted cause at least some kind of combustion with the gunpowder? I don't think it was making it to him because the heat was so intense around him. So they were saying that the uh, the bullets would melt prior to getting to him. And I, I do see what Brandon's issue is there. He he uh he applied logic. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, I was using my brain for a moment. Sorry, kids. I'll try not to do that again. Well, it's, it's lead poisoning. So all that uh, molten molten lead again, like uh, Clark, you know <laughs> <it was laughs> he got systemic poisoning from uh, lead and <laughs> fucking he turned him into a pencil. <laughs> the hard way <laughs> fucking Christ but yeah um, so anyway uh, I'm glad that you guys enjoyed this tale I hope everybody listening and watching what have you that you all enjoyed it if, you, if you've if you read it previously if not I hope this was enough to, to whet your appetite to really like buckle down and, and pour through it um, I mean there's plenty of other stories uh, that fall right in line with the Elseworlds uh, line of tales I uh, I honestly can't recommend these and what ifs enough. That's why we do the show. Um, Where does this rank in terms of like your Elseworlds? Cause I know you said it was like your, your original go-to, but like then now you, we've talked about secret identity. We've talked about last son of Krypton. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think those are the, those are the three Superman stories that we've done thus far. Um, mm-hmm. where, where does this rank up there? Oh man. Uh, this is probably, Hmm. I mean, it's definitely top ten, definitely top ten. Uh, I'd have to I'd have to go through and and double check an entire list. Um, I don't want to say top five. I, I, honestly, my my number one uh, is is Superman Batman Generations. Uh, I'm not I'm not counting uh, parts two and three in that. I'll just say Generations altogether because uh, it 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 and it started as a four part prestige format miniseries. Um, then they did Generations 2, which was another four-part prestige miniseries. Then they did Generations 3, which was a 12-part maxi comic book series. Uh, went over the course of an entire year. And John Byrne wrote and illustrated all, all three uh, stories. Um, one of the things I absolutely love about it, aside from the fact that it, it is just about progression, um, the premise is Superman first shows up in 1938. Batman first shows up in 1939 and they continue to age naturally. Their cast of characters age naturally. They get married, have kids, their kids take on legacies. And that's the thing. Legacy ends up becoming a big part of it. And you see how the rest of the DC universe, the world develops around them as well. Um, There is a green lantern at the time who's Alan Scott. And then later on, there's another green lantern who is Kyle Rayner. um, And they, they, he at Kyle Rayner is actually apparently like part of the the whole like Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, Guardians of the Universe thing with Oa, but Alan Scott's ring 
was still like the ring we know that was vulnerable to wood. Um, so you don't get a lot of backstory on it, which always killed me because I would have loved to see like explorations of other characters in that universe. Um, but it deals primarily with Superman and Batman. And I just I love the idea that it it follows them through the decades and, and their kids and what happens to to their families and, and their villains and, and, and all that. It's it's the way I wish comic books were across the board. Um, that was but, how Claremont had envisioned the X-Men where they would be generational and it would move on from X-Men to new mutants. And then just kind of a, a new crop would come up and yeah. they'd pass the torch along. Yeah. And I, I think, I think that's a very smart storytelling way to look at things. Um, but I mean, there's, there's other like absolutely phenomenal stories. I mean, kingdom come is definitely top five. Um, I think Leo and I can agree with that. So. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, and then there's 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 other little things too here and there. I mean, um, there's there's like another story. It's it's a weird one, but I just really <laughs> I really like it. It's called Superman: Distant Fires, and there's a nuclear holocaust that we don't see; we just see the aftermath of, and it caused a lot of damage. Uh, and we come across Superman starting off. It's Clark at the beginning of the story. He's the sole survivor in the wastes of metropolis and he survived but he no longer has powers and he has to make his way through this world and there's all kinds of like crazy mutated vegetation and you know cannibals and stuff like that and he has to he is it up... in the future well i mean because i think they really. did a justice league episode like that with uh vandal savage Maybe, but he does end up like finding a newly formed society that does have some of his old compatriots there. Oh. Uh, it, yeah, like his old superhero friends, like uh, Billy Batson and the Diana. Uh, one of the one of the people who ends up becoming like uh, chief engineer in this new society is the Joker. Um, to everybody who had powers, no longer has them. And everyone who had previously been like psychotic and crazy and, you know, just completely uncontrollable, they were all completely sane. Uh, and there's lots of other stuff that happens after that point. I don't want to say too much, but that's pretty fun. It, it is. It is fun. And what's really cool is um, aside from it being a Superman else world, it involves all these other characters and uh, Billy Batson slash captain marvel slash shazam however you want to call it it's it's captain marvel in this story um he plays a very very big role in the entirety of the story um but yeah that's that's a fun one and i i don't know that that would necessarily top a lot of people's lists but i put that in top 10 for me um but without without a full-blown list in front of me i can't yeah, I was I was just wondering about like the ones that we read and all that. Um, but that that's cool because you've talked about generations like two, three times. I'm I'm looking forward to us getting to that one. Oh, I I, I absolutely I, I love it. I try to tell everyone about it. <laughs> like I for the long they just released an omnibus like earlier this year that collects all three parts into one book. And uh I'm so glad they did because it takes the onus off of me in getting people to fucking read generations because <laughs> they stopped printing it. And uh, I have every single one of the comic books. Uh, so it's very easy for me to be able to access it anytime I wanted. 
but because of how difficult it was to come across it, I'm loath to let people borrow it because oh, yeah. I've had a bad, a bad experience more times than once actually where I've let people borrow excellent stories and then I don't get them back and I have to repurchase them. I've bought I've, kingdom come like six times. I have bought Watchmen. <laughs> I've bought Watchmen. Watchmen times. <laughs> At least three times. Oh I've my bought Watchmen. God, dude. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so where would, uh, I'm going to give you two titles here. Uh, Superman secret origin and Superman American alien show up. Uh, well, I mean, those, neither one of those are else worlds. They're not. No, really? Secret Origin is written by Jeff Johns and yeah. American Alien is written by Max Landis. Uh, they are both just different tellings of Superman's origin story. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, Secret oh. Identity is top five <laughs> for me. Yeah. I can tell you that. So that's I, like, I really like that one a lot. Yeah. That, that one, I mean, just the artwork, the storytelling, it's all beautiful. It's, it's so subtle. It really does. It lends realism to the entire tale without bringing it to that point where so many people get confused with confuse. They confuse realism with grittiness, and uh, that is certainly not the case with Superman's Secret Identity. I would say overall, it is it is a very hopeful tale from beginning to end. Um, but yeah, like there's there's just some great there's some great stuff there's also some really fucking goofy stuff too like like superboy's legion we'll we'll get to that one it's a two-parter it's weird it's not uh, like I, I don't mind the legion of superheroes stuff but that like the conceit on that one is um kal-el is rocketed from krypton and you know this is based once again on the john byrne stuff so it's all like they're genetically engineered and he stays in that weird black egg until you know somebody touches it and attached. Otherwise, it keeps you in like anim- suspended animation. Mm-hmm. Well, Kal-El's uh, rocket ship goes through a wormhole and gets like st- stuck or something like that for a-, a thousand years, and it finally is found. And they open it up. It's a baby. It's Kal-El, and he is raised by R.J. Brand the founder of the Legion of Superheroes. And so the whole and the whole thing ends up being Superboy wants to start up a group of other teenagers who are powerful like him. So he actually has like a peer group to hang out with, but also they want to do good things and help people. And that's how the Legion starts. And it's fine, but it's it's like it's like fucking Diet Coke. You know, like it'll fill you <laughs> up, but you know, it's not gonna it's not gonna actually provide you with any nutrients. You know, um, but like like I said, the, those really like kind of silly ones are are you know few and far between. Um, another one that is really odd and just I I don't really I never really cared for the Peter David run of Supergirl as it was. Um, this like plays with that idea of supergirl being like an earthbound angel yeah and, with the telekinetic wings and yeah and yeah. uh the name of the the name of the else world is supergirl wings and it's it's just strange that's that's really the only the best way to describe it. it's just odd 
Um, but yeah, there's 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 a lot of fun stuff, a lot of weird stuff, uh, a lot of stuff that you would never necessarily expect. Um, you know, I, I look forward to when we get to like uh, JLA Shogun of Steel. That'll be a fun one. It's a uh, feudal Japan, and that's where Kalel landed. And one of the things that I always thought was really cool was that Kalel landed in, I believe it was China, ancient China. Oh uh, no, maybe it was Japan. I'm sorry, Japan. And he actually looks Asian. Oh, neat. Yeah. Um, and I like to think that part of it might be because of adaptability to wherever he is. Like, it's it's never anything that's ever actually spoken about. And the closest I've ever gotten, I've ever seen really to touching upon the idea of like that adaptability to the beings he's around or that he could be around uh, is Icon from Milestone Comics. That's mm-hmm. exactly how the character's origin went like he was a shape-shifting alien that landed on earth and was found by uh, a black man and a black woman who were slaves and so the infant instinctually made itself look like them and that's why icon was always a black man you know like like i i really i dig that idea i dig it an awful lot it makes sense like it's a defense mechanism how else would this alien make sure that it's not killed on site and uh you know, just the fact that I read this JLA Shogun of Steel book and I was like, whoa, that's that's really cool. Like the idea that Kal-El could land and no matter where it was, like if he had been found by an Inuit tribe in North America, he might have looked a lot more Inuit by the time he was an adult. Um, but yeah, like we'll we'll get to we'll get to see a lot of variations on different things. And, uh, you know, and that's just that's just the DC side. Um, I, I, I honestly there's there's plenty of stuff for, for Marvel. Not just uh, not just the what ifs, but we can look at uh, story arcs like uh, Age of Apocalypse. We can look at Heroes Reborn, uh, the original Heroes Reborn, not the new one that they just did. In, like you're talking about the 1996 with uh, the Jim Lee, Fantastic Four, and yeah, yeah, Rob Liefeld. Um, yeah, after after yeah. Onslaught, yeah, yeah. and uh, you know even even other series that that Marvel did, uh, they they had Mutant X for a while oh i i have like every episode uh, every issue of mutant x me too i, I yeah. love that i love that <laughs> um and in exiles uh which oh yeah which when uh especially when judd winnick created it and was writing the the bulk of it it was absolute absolutely massive. it was really good man that yeah. like like that was like everything i liked about x-men in in a book that didn't have the x-men in it and yeah. I'm like, oh, this is pretty fun. And and just the way it was it was designed to have to be able to insert a rotating cast of characters if need be. It it's kind of like sliders, actually. Like it was like, that old sli- show? It was like, like sliders and quantum yeah. leap. Yeah, it was it was pretty fun. They have to put right the one thing that's going to go wrong in this reality, and when they do, they will leap, and hopefully that next leap will be the leap home. But it never was. Nope um but yeah so i mean like like i said there's there's a lot of fun stuff across the board and and those are just the big two you know just dc and marvel um there's there's other things we can look at as well but uh i'm really pleased that you guys uh enjoyed this like i said uh it's the very first elsewhere that i ever i ever bought like i said i ever read and it, it does hold a special place in my heart because of that it was it was my entry point to dc's uh you know, imaginary tales of the modern era. Um, just, just one uh, last thing to kind of touch on on that. Um, 
this book could have easily had zero writing, zero um, dialogue. And just based on the visual storytelling, I feel like I would have come out with pretty close to the same idea. That's how good of a storytelling team that they are. Because what was on the page translated to body language and you know facial expressions, I could have just not read the whole thing and just looked at the pictures and gotten the idea. Yeah. I mean, I think it definitely benefited the book altogether to have Dave Gibbons, uh, who was writing it, also be an accomplished illustrator because he, yeah. he knew how to he knew how to write it in such a way that you could convey it through the story being told, but also give the illustrator a lot to work with so they could tell the story as well and not 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 tell the story they wanted them to tell. Like, oh, here's a story. I'm telling it my way. Now you tell it your way and we'll match the two together. And I, I do feel like there was a lot of collaboration back and forth uh, regarding that. Um, and, and that's, that's a plus. I mean, it, it, it shows, it shows a, a great working relationship and honestly a lot of trust for both creators. <laughs> yeah. You know, but uh, no, that I'm, I'm really like, I'm, I'm so pumped, honestly. Like, I'm so glad that you guys enjoyed it. Uh, and and you know we we just we have uh mostly nowhere to go but up yeah i, I know i mentioned super boys leaving but the one that really <laughs> well, what about um what happened to the man of of tomorrow is that in elseworlds technically no. No. no it's the last it's the last pre-crisis superman story yeah so it's it's basically the end of superman's tale um the 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 last superman story and then we we go into john burns stuff and uh and that's fine i mean alan moore did did his alan moore thing with that one and uh you know it's once again playing with the idea of deconstructing and that's that's great i don't mind a deconstruction but you know if if you uh if that's what you constantly do then maybe you know stop going to that well and stop being so purposefully cynical about the very same characters you're utilizing to make a name for yourself. I just, I don't get it. Um, I, I don't, I don't understand the disdain for, you know, these flights and tights and what have you. And then just saying like, Oh, it's all shit. Why did you want to work on it then, dude? <laughs> well, have you read lost girls? Probably not. Right. I own it. Oh yeah. Okay. I, I do too. <laughs> I own it. I own the big old <laughs> slipcover edition. Yeah, and, yeah. It, um, that was pretty I, good. I read it once. No. Yeah. I read it once. And it's I don't a, feel it, the need to read it again. No, no. I felt... You're like, Captain Hook, what the fuck? I felt terrible <laughs> while reading it. Like, I, like, there were some parts where I was like, oh. And then there were other parts where I was like, oh. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's really... You will well. never, you will never, ever, ever, ever ever look at the wizard of oz the same no way yet. yeah that's the one you know or, or alice in wonderland i suppose but um no wizard of oz was definitely the one that got jacked up for me man like alice in wonderland i was like eh, okay that that whatever that's messed up man wizard <laughs> of oz nah like every dude every dude including in, including henry come on man no Leo, no. it's it's weird. Like if we can protect you from it's it. It's pornography. <laughs> no, like no, it's straight up. It is pornography. 
like Alan I, Moore. I think there's parts of it that are pretty good, but um, no, 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 no. Yeah. I'm not saying that is in a detrimental way. I'm saying it's pornography. Alan Moore straight up was like, "Oh, this is pornography." Like that's we wanted to make like artistic pornography, and it is beautifully rendered. the 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 artwork is outstanding, but some of the stuff that the artwork is depicting is hardcore. Yeah, and, it's it's a little twisted. And so. yeah, and in not just hardcore in some instances, in the, in some instances, pretty fucking taboo. Um, you know. And find out Dorothy's uncle Henry isn't actually her uncle. Yep. He's her father. He's the wizard. He's the wizard. <laughs> and the Emerald City was really like fucking Austin or something. It was it's like some fucking Midwest slash southern town. And the whole thing about her like clicking her heels together to get back home is because she fucking boned down her dad in a fucking hotel room after they spent oh, the wow. day together. Dude, it's so weird. City. Like, oh, like yeah. between that and, and the parts with Wendy, it's like I, I, I gotta oh, go take a shower. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, the Peter Pan stuff's really be, messed up too. I don't think that'll be something that we cover on this podcast. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. Uh, I, no. I don't. I don't want to deal with the. I don't want to deal with even thinking about it. I don't want to. Yeah, read I don't it. want to read that again. I, don't think. <laughs> I bought it. I bought it for yeah. a stupid amount of money, and I'm glad I did. But like, I had it in my bookshelf, and people would be like, "Oh, what's this?" And I'm like, "Nothing. Don't even bother. Don't read that. Just put it down," because. It's got a nice. It's it's. I mean, it's big. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty. Couple yeah. volumes, and it's like this beautiful, like lavender slipcase that goes over these hardcover volumes. And like I said, you, you, to see it, you'd be like, "Ooh, it's pretty." Like I'm enticed by this. Let me let me look at it. I'm like da, 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 see you with your eyes, not with your. Hands. I'm like read saga. It it's better. Oh my god! <laughs> it's way starting better. up. Starting up again in January. About damn time. Yeah, well, they're allowed. They're allowed. By the way, did you notice that there's a there's a Taco Bell commercial out that has a kid dressed up like? Um, yes, I did actually. Saga? Yeah, Two they're they're them. both there. Um, I I actually just picked up a Funko Pop of the Will, so oh, that's I, cool. I know. Um, that's very cool. Yeah. Um. So so anyway, we can go into tangents here. Oh, tangent comics. That's something we can cover in the future too. <laughs> <laughs> and amalgam, but uh. Yeah, so we'll uh, we'll we'll get this wrapped up. Uh, you thank you everyone for indulging us in the last few minutes where we talked about literally everything else except Elseworlds and Tales. <laughs> um, and we'll uh, we'll we'll close it up. We'll uh, we'll we'll start with uh, these guys saying some stuff. Uh, Leo Pond, I you, uh, yeah, tell just... people about you and where they can find you or not. Uh, I run a little thing called the Dorkening Podcast Network. We got a bunch of shows on the network. A lot of awesome people doing a lot of awesome stuff like these guys here, like uh, Justin. That's a me. Worst <laughs> <laughs> like Mario impression yeah. ever. <laughs> hey, hey, don't say that. We haven't heard Chris Pratt yet. I, I was I was still thinking of Lost Girls. Sorry. <laughs> oh, Christ. 
Yeah. Check out my Lost Girls podcast. <laughs> no, it's uh don't do that. So but yeah, um you can check me out um at uh, Geek Life HQ and uh, we just hit our hundredth episode. So you can check that out. That's kind of fun. Um, Epic Tales from the Sewers is my Ninja Turtles podcast, and you can check that out. Also on Facebook, the Epic Shells uh, Facebook group. Excellent. Um, I'm Brandon Powers, a.k.a. Powerful Brandon. Um, You can check me out on the Wednesday night uh, Dorking podcast. It's uh, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every week. Uh, you can please join me over at the Powers Combined Facebook group uh, where we're just a bunch of geeks and dorks that get together to share info and memes, have a few laughs, have a good time. Our number one rule is don't be a jerk. Uh, if you violate that, you will be booted immediately. Uh, you can follow me on social media, Twitter at Brandon's Powers and Instagram at this Brandon has powers. And um, aside from those things, I've been uh, hanging out with these two clowns uh, every week, and uh, we've been doing this, and uh, we also have been doing the Dork Night podcast where we uh, cover all things Batman. So uh, check those out when uh, they come across your peepers. All right. Well, thank you very much. Have a good night, everybody. Take it easy.